0: The views and opinions expressed by any hosts or guests of WJMS Radio do not reflect the beliefs of its owners or associates. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to WJMS Radio or the show hosts whose words, advice, and or opinions appear from or on our website or on air.
1: One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 nine. Are we on the air?
0: You're listening to WJMSRadio.com.
1: Jam This chick is a sick individual
0: You're tuned in to Sound Off with your girl Jams right here on WJMSradio.com
2: There is no competition
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to sound off right here on w j m s radio man, oh man, has it been a long time It's good to be back with you guys. I am just coming off the flu, and boy, when I tell you <laughs> that flu sat me all the way down for a solid week um and it has been quite uh a debacle, you know, dealing with all the flu symptoms I don't think I've ever had the flu before in my life, and I got it this time around and Whew, it was a doozy, uh, but I'm happy to be back. I'm very excited to, you know, have a brand new episode of Sound Off with you guys. This author, who I'm having with me today, wrote an amazing book about a topic that I don't think a lot of us pay enough attention about. Um, before we get into the show for today, we are streaming live on my Facebook page as well as the Get Vocal app. So if you want to join us and chat with us, feel free to hop on through Get Vocal, or you can drop a comment on the uh, Facebook live stream simulcast and I will read it if you have any questions for, you know, Anne as well. Um, also, you can check out our radio station on all your favorite social media. We're at WJMS Radio on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. Um, and of course, we have some video content on YouTube as well so you can check that out also. Um, so yeah, I want to get into the show for this afternoon. My special guest today is Ann Kim. She's the author of Abandoned: America's Lost Youth and the Crisis of Disconnection. She's a writer, a lawyer, and a public policy expert with a long career in Washington D.C.-based think tanks and she's been working in and around Capitol Hill. Uh, she's also a contributing editor at the Washington Monthly where she's a senior writer. And she has had her work up here in the Washington Post, uh, governing the Atlantic, uh, and she's been on and numerous other publications. And she's living in Northern Virginia. Um, so, Anne, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing?
3: Good. Thanks, Jamie. I'm glad you're feeling better yourself.
0: Oh, my Lord. Like, no the phone no joke, no. you know? And then I was worried of course, that it was the coronavirus, and I was like, oh, Lord, I'm going to be the one in New York. It's <laughs> me. You know, I was freaking out about that, but they, I went in there, they tested me and they were like, yeah, you have influenza strand B. Um, And they gave me some Tamiflu and they were like bed rest for like four to five days. And
3: whoo, yeah, <laughs> it was crazy. No i glad you're back on your feet. Yeah. I think around
0: day two or three, I was starting to get cabin fever. Like I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here.
3: I got to get out of here.
0: Um, But I'm feeling a lot better. I'm definitely, I'm almost a hundred percent. I'd probably say I'm about 93%, which is good. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely feeling much better than I was say, you know, this time last week. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I want to jump into the, into the book. Cause this book that you wrote abandoned is absolutely amazing. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about sort of where the idea came from, but before we do that, why don't you give the audience a little bit more background on, you know, who you are, your upbringing and sort of what got you mm-hmm. into, you know, diving deep down into this crisis that we're in right now.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I have been writing about, I guess, poverty, social policy, economic opportunity. I've always been, you know, I I grew up as the kid of, you know, Korean immigrants in Kansas City, Missouri. So I've always been kind of fascinated by this question of how do you get ahead in America today? And, you know, I'm old, so I feel like it's actually gotten a lot harder for young people Mm -hmm. to get a start. You know, I think that it's much more about who you are, where you are who you know, and this mythology of you know pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is still very powerful. And one of the things yeah. I really wanted this book to kind of tackle head on is that myth of pulling up yourself up by the bootstraps and kind of looking at the structural factors that really stand in the way of young people's success today. And I cannot pretend to have discovered this problem. You know, there've been foundations like the Annie Casey Foundation and others that have been really looking at this for a couple of decades now. And a ton of nonprofits that have been working on the ground. So what I want to do with this book is lift up that work and lift up this mm-hmm. larger problem so that more people know what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I will say this, at uh, just from reading this book outright and, you know, the reading, of course, the little info on the inside, you know, I didn't realize... It's, it's one of those things where you don't realize the privilege that you have until you read about or until you experience, you know, how other people are dealing, you know, and it's just like reading through this book and looking at the statistics and, you know, comparing to my own life, you know, it made me very much aware of how little, you know, I've had to struggle to get to where I am just based on, you know, family support and, you know, having those backgrounds and things and support systems in place to to really help you know, founder or, or sort of flounder what I'm doing. And it was just one of those things that it was like, wow, you know, like some people really just have no idea what's really going on. Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's one of those things where you have to be, you, you have to be cognizant, you know, of the struggles that other people are going through. Um, You know, I'm, I was going to ask, you know, if you yourself had to deal with any of these kind of situations when you were coming up, like, did any of this stuff resonate true for you? Or are you on the side with me where you're like, I never really had to think about it like this.
3: You know, I mean, I'm actually more on the side of you. I mean, of course, you have your own experience, and you think that the struggles that you went through are unique. But in the research for this book, it's like, you know what? I had to really check my privilege because I was lucky. I had parents. I had a safety net in case things went wrong. But you know, and that just to jump back a little bit on the statistics, um, just by way of background, this book is about the 4.5 million, you know, million with an M young people between the ages of 16 to 24 who are not in school nor working. So, you know, that's 11.5%. And it varies across the country. In some places, it's as high as three out of four young people who are completely cut off from mainstream opportunity. So it's it's an enormous crisis that's hidden in plain sight. Um, But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's really difficult I think that's the challenge with seeing the structural barriers to stand in the way because it's it's structural so you don't see it it's easy to take for yeah. granted like you know if you belong to a church just who your pastor knows you know who do your parents know your boss you know your friends like these invisible networks that are supporting you but if you don't have them then all these doors are closed to you and we're not aware
0: yeah you know it's so one of the other topics that I'm very, very passionate about is the, the prison industrial complex yeah. and the school to prison pipeline and how all of those things kind of work together. And reading this book really kind of, it's one of those wormholes or, you know, one of those, those black holes that you go down into and you're like, oh, I got to pull myself out of here. This is yeah. crazy because you start to feel very, very helpless. And one thing I liked about the book was that I'm glad at the end of your book and actually interspersed throughout it, you have examples of systems that are in place that are working. You know, systems that actually are, I mean, of course they need more funding and they need more attention and they need a lot more of everything. And they're no way near complete models of what needs to be done, but they're showing progress. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to ask you, you know, my first thought when reading this book was why don't we take the successes of like Second Story and National Guard Challenge and Youth Build and just Funnel all of the money that we're getting into these programs that show work and that ex- and then expand these programs to other places that really need them. You know, like yeah. I don't understand why we have programs in place. You know, like I met mean, I think uh, it was Job Corps or Youth Corps or something like that that you mentioned that you know really isn't helping too much, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Right. Um. You know where we have these other programs that have shown, you know, promise. So it's like, why are we still funneling money into programs that don't have the track record as ones that are great? You know, like that's one of the questions I couldn't get my head around.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's a great question. And I think a big part of it actually is that, that there's not enough awareness of the problem, you know, as it yeah. exists. You know, this um, whole concept of young adulthood as a sociological, cultural and physiological phenomenon is actually pretty new. It's really within the last generation or so that young adults young people have really needed a lot of more support to get a start in life. And it used to be that you could graduate at age 18 from high school and go down the street to the the local factory and get a job, but that's just not the case anymore. You got to get to college or some sort of higher education. You know, your parents are going to be supporting you. A lot of people go back home after they finish school. You know, that again, that's a part of that invisible, invisible safety net and social structure that a lot of young people have, but that's fairly new. All of our governmental programs, were set up at a time when 18 was really, you know, that doorway into adulthood and young adulthood as a phenomenon was not uh, recognized. So we have no programs in place because public policy is like decades behind where the rest of society is right now. Um, in terms of how much we invest, you know, we only put about two and a half billion dollars a year in federal money into the kinds of programs that I mentioned in the book as, you know, effective strategies versus ineffective ones. Actually, a good chunk of that two and a half billion is going to that Job Corps program you mentioned. That's a legacy program from 40 years ago That is kind of a not so effective government job training program versus one that's really connected with community businesses and in local schools. Um, We spend more than half a billion dollars on our national defense just by comparison. So that tells you like our national priorities need some real reordering so that we recognize A, how important young adulthood is. B, recognize the sheer numbers of young adults who are falling behind and falling through the cracks because they don't have the supports we need. C, Mm -hmm. recognize the public policy failures that have caused so many young people to be in these kinds of situations. And then four, invest a lot to turn this around yeah. because every investment we make is going to pay back dividends beyond measure and yeah. yeah and the less we invest the more we're going to have to pay as a society further down the road and that was the part
0: that baffled me was it was like as I was reading through the book and folks if you don't get a chance to um you know if you're listening and you're interested in the book itself I will drop a link uh, later on you know on our page so that you can follow but in the book, she gives statistics and like numbers where it's like it talks about how much money it costs to, you know, rehabilitate and not even necessarily rehabilitate, but how much money the government, you know, or the public has to pay for an adult who's disconnected. You know, so a, a kid who's disconnected, you know, obviously is not in work and is not in school, then, of course, becomes an unproductive adult, meaning you can't get, you know, meaningful work or you're in and out of the prison system, you know, and so on and so forth. And how much money you know, public has to pay to then support that person because jails cost money and it comes out of tax dollars and things like that and stuff like that. So, you know, it talks about how if we invested a little bit more in connecting these youth to the opportunities that they need when they're younger, we would get paid, you know, or we'd be, you know, receiving Money, much, much money more, you know, yeah. much more. Yeah, than we would be paying outright to take care of them if they were a disconnected adult because they'd be contributing members to society. Yeah,
3: hundred percent agree with you. And the thing is, like, this is a bipartisan issue. You know, I talk cool. a lot about equity and equality, and you know, things that care that progressives care a lot about. But if you're a conservative, you should care about this too, from a sheer fiscal standpoint, because just like you're saying you know, if you don't invest now, the costs are enormous. There was a 2015 study that I cite that was done by Columbia University, and that total social burden is going to be about $700,000 for a disconnected adult. And it's the prison system, but it's also, you know, social programs. Um, It's paying for that homeless shelter. It's also the lost tax revenue from someone who's not paying taxes. And the incalculable value is what if that person had had the potential to really innovate and create jobs or to start their own business and generate economic activity? We're missing out on all of that if we don't, you know, see the young people around us who need just a little bit of help to get themselves back on their feet.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and to go back to what you had mentioned earlier about, you know, having the, the bachelor's degree and stuff like that. Essentially, now you mentioned in the book, too, and it's something that obviously my generation is, is noticing, too, is that this idea of adulthood is starting Way later, um, you know, and it's like one of those things where right now, essentially a bachelor's degree is is the same as having a high school diploma. You know, employers are looking at bachelor's degree as standard practice, Mm -hmm. you know, at the very least you should have a college degree. So it's like you think about the people that don't even have a high school diploma and it seems like they are so far behind you know, even beginning to hit the curve, you know, that it's just like, it's really sad. And there were times too, when I was in college and it was like, I was seeing my friends like graduate and then they would move back home and they're like, Oh, I'm saving money, moving in with mom until I pay off my student loans. And I'm like, man, (laughs) I kind of move back home. Like, cause I went away to college. That's the thing. Like I moved away Mm -hmm. to college. And by the time I graduated from college, I was standing on my own two feet, you know? So like the idea of going back home to mommy and daddy was not really an option for me. I was like, no, 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 no. Like this is, This is sink or swim territory for me. You know what I mean? So for me, I couldn't go back home to stay with mommy and daddy to pay my student loans. It was like, no, no, you got to get this job to pay these student loans. That's it. Uh, And it it was one of those things where like you're seeing nowadays a lot more young people who are, they say 30 is the new 20, you know, where they're buying houses a lot later in life just because the sheer amount of student loan debt that we've accumulated based on predatory practices of the loan companies and just... Miseducation of how much it's going to cost to go to college in the first place and how to finance that and how to search for scholarships and all the things that come along mm-hmm. with going to college, um, but you're seeing people or seeing young folks owning houses a lot later, you're seeing them getting married a lot right. later kids you're seeing later. them right. having kids later and it's it's really delaying the shift of adulthood because the money it's just not there it's not the same world that our parents grew up in, you know we can't work a minimum wage job for the summer to put our way through college, like a minimum wage job, you know, which is now what $15 an hour supposedly is not even going to pay for barely the room and board at a facility or at a, at a college now. And it's just, it's not the same economic situation. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to see what a s what a shift has happened, you yeah. know, like, cause it's like, even my dad's like, they moved out, you know, when they were, Eighteen, nineteen. They went to college. They were like, I bought a house for like twenty three thousand dollars. I'm like, where? Uh-huh. Where did you buy a house for twenty three thousand dollars? You know, like, and it's it's just not the same. It's not the same
3: economic no. landscape that it no, was. No, no, it really isn't. I mean, be, being a young adult, the road is harder. The road is longer. And you know, whatever kind of support you get from your parents has become so much more important. Um, there was a Federal yeah. Reserve study. Um, I think I cited in the book that one out of three young people up to age 24 is still getting help with the bills from mom and dad. Because you know, as you say, things are so expensive. And the average middle class family is going to invest about $50,000 uh, in their child from ages 18 to 30. And that's a huge amount of money. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you need young people need that in order to establish themselves these days. It's the young people who don't have any sort of access to those kinds of supports they're not falling further behind because if that's what you need to get you know a minimum level of independence what happens if you are one of those young people without any parents without that kind of support with you know no ability to afford college at all like if you're coming out of foster care or if you've been incarcerated yep. you know or you're living in a part of the country where your parents may be trying but they don't have a job either
0: yeah and that recession and all that kind of stuff comes into play one of the things I did yeah I did remember reading a lot about that in this book was children who are aging out of foster care and how flawed and just terrible that system is and how much of a a checkbox system it is for some of these folks that just really are not paying attention and making sure that these, you know, children who have already had a hard go at it, you know, from early on in life, you know, have solid footing going out onto their own. They just don't even have that, that solid foundation. Um, And the one thing I was, I was picturing as I was reading your book was just like this idea of like, you know, how some of us are lucky enough to have steps, from, you know, we'll call, we'll call being from a child to an adult, we'll just call it like a hole, if you will. And some of us have steps out of this hole that we take to walk up into adulthood and stand on that level platform on our own two feet, you know, and then how some of us have steps and then the rest of us, or some of them have quicksand, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, you're trying to get and you can't, you're trying to catch up and you can't, and things you're trying to pull yourself up with are coming down with you. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That's a great metaphor.
0: One and of those I think, things you know, with the child realize- welfare
3: system, you know, the government is yeah. dumping quicksand on top of you, you know, it makes it even worse, you know, and this system, yeah. just by way of background yeah. for your listeners, you know, there are about, you know, 440,000 kids in the child welfare system at any given time, and about 20,000 of them who turn 18 or 21, depending on the state, and that's when they, quote unquote, age out. And the government calls that emancipation, yeah. which is a really funny word for something that is actually one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a young person coming out of the child welfare system. They're supposed to have a transition plan in place. Yeah. And if that were the case, then the outcomes for um, former foster youth wouldn't be as bad as they are. You know, So for instance, um, even now, you know, one out of three young people aging out of foster care is going to end up homeless. Another third are going to end up, or the same third, um, are going to end up incarcerated. Fewer than half are going to have a job by the time they're age 26, and fewer than 10% are going to have any sort of college degree, two-year or four-year. I mean, these are absolutely horrific outcomes from a system that is supposed to be protecting children's welfare. And the opposite is happening.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned a good point, you know, bringing it back. So why don't we go back a little bit and talk about how did we get here? You know, like it's It's actually a crisis. So how did we... How did things get to where they are today? Like, what were some of the things that happened, uh, you know, in your opinion that you think sort of kind of paved the way for the area that yeah, we are I mean, right that's now? that's a big
3: question. And I try to synthesize a lot of things that are happening kind of nationally, economically, but also governmental systems that have fallen apart, that have led to this crisis of disconnection. Yeah. And I think it is a couple of things. Um, some of it is governmental and public policy that we've touched upon, you know, the child welfare system, but also the criminal justice system, are primary drivers of disconnection, failing mm-hmm. schools. You know, Our country has come a long way in dealing with the dropout crisis for sure, but we still have you know, quote yeah. unquote dropout factories in a lot of cities across America where, and yeah. one of the places I went to is in Baltimore, neighborhood called Sandtown. Um, the high school there still has you know, fewer than 60% of the students who graduate from high school even today. You know, and this is a high a neighborhood that produced Thurgood Marshall. You know, this was a thriving neighborhood. You know, 50 years ago, that's you know fallen on hard times and has never recovered. There are many, many pockets like that throughout the country. Um, another big trend I think is happening is what's um, the divergence in uh, economic fortunes of the coastal areas that are doing super well, kind of places where you and I are living in a way. And then the rest of the country where Mm -hmm. they may have been manufacturing jobs at one point that have gone. Um, I traveled to a place in Southwest Virginia that had both manufacturing and they grew tobacco. Both of those things are not there anymore. And there is no college and no community college within a half an hour of that place until very recently. So there are 41 million Americans who are living in so-called like higher education deserts that are half an hour or more away from a college or community college what do you do you know if there's no industry around you and we haven't done enough to look at those regional imbalances in you know who's got the money and who's got the educated people and where are the businesses going and why is it all concentrating on the coasts and why is not any of it going into the middle so those three things together you know um are adding up to this crisis of you know, opportunity among young people in particular. It's clearing the coal mine for these bigger trends that are driving inequality nationally, I think. And we're, what, in your
0: opinion, is our future if we don't take action now? Like, where are we going to be, or what do you foresee happening if we don't address but the I issue But I think we already hand?
3: saw part of what's happening in the 2016 election. You want to be, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, the 2016 yep. election was an expression of a lot of, Take it for what it's worth, but there was a lot of anger out there in the country about you know who who is succeeding and who is not. Don't get me wrong, a lot of it is misplaced, you know. And um, but those kinds of tensions are only going to get worse. Uh, and during the re- especially for heading into a recession, which is entirely likely given what's happening with the coronavirus and all of that. During the Great Recession, there yeah. were close to seven million young people between sixteen and twenty-four. Um, who are not in school and not working. So this is an economic and cyclical phenomenon. Young people are, you know, always the last hired, first fired. And if there are four and a half million disconnected young people today in supposedly a great economy, what is that going to look like next year? Um, So that, I think, is what we're headed toward, a a scenario where um, enormous numbers of young people are without opportunities, and that's going to set our nation back decades in terms of economic progress oof
0: and yeah, you mentioned something something yeah. I think really important about last hired and first fired you know it's even getting in the door of a job now is hard, and I think on uh what was it on page seventy eight you know you said and I quote. Um, workers are competing against older workers with experience. And then they're caught in the catch 22 of not being able to get a job to gain experience, because they don't have the experience to get a job. Yeah. And I was like, Lord, is that not the most truest statement I've ever read in my entire life? Like, all of us know that it's like, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you're coming out of college, and they're like, Oh, we want 22 years of experience, um, and a bachelor's <laughs> degree, and we're going to pay you $15 an hour. And we're like, where do they do that at? Like, I'm sorry, was I supposed to be interning as a toddler? Like, what you know, like, it's one of those things where jobs want the experience, but you can't get the experience without the job. And so you get stuck in these catch 22s of like, okay, I guess I'm heading over to McDonald's, because I don't know what else to do. You know, and it's it's one of the scariest things, you know, of of my generation, when we came out of college, you know, we Uh came out shiny degree in hand, ready to hit the workforce. And the employers were like, yeah, no, we don't Oh, we don't hire yeah, yeah. fresh out. What do you, what do you mean? You know, it was like, oh, even myself, you know, I had, you know, best laid plans for after graduation. Like I was going to do this, 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 and this. And my backup plan was this, this, and this. And plan A did not work. And I was like smoothly on to plan B, you know, fresh out of the graduation door. And it was just like, and I'm grateful because I'm one of the people that, you know, graduated with a salary wow. job with benefits fresh out of the gate. Was okay. it in my field? Was not in my field at all, but I, was, I have no room to complain like whatsoever, because like it was one of those things where the steps that I had taken in college sort of paved the way for me to have a job, you know, out of college, which was great. And but I know a lot of my friends that struggled and I mean, struggled for a long time just to find a job like and not even one in their field in general, mm-hmm. just just a general job. Um, and it's hard, it's definitely hard. And that catch 22 is a real it's a real thing. Um, and it was just one of those things that that hit me when you, when I read it, I was like, (laughs) oh, you know, so, um, it was just, it was one of those, one of those things that hit me the most. But, so I want to get back into some of the, the situations, you know, in the book that you talk about besides like, you know, kids aging out of foster care and, you know, just inadequate schooling was this idea of, you know, the, the ability of your network to create, Opportunities for you without you knowing it, um, and you talk about you know how you know there are 4.5 million young people between ages 16 and 24 that are neither in work or in school, and it just makes you wonder you know like not all of these children are from you know homes that are bad. Some of them just have parents who aren't who don't have that kind of education. Can you talk a little bit about how? The responsibility of the parents in some of these situations, like the, inad- the inadequate education of the parents, plays a role yeah, in you no, know absolutely. what's going on with their yeah. children.
3: And uh, I want to give a shout out real quick to the Social Science Research Council Measure of America Project because they are the ones who came up with this 1.5 million figure. You know, our federal government does not actually keep track of the phenomenon of disconnection, which is one of the things we need to fix. And that's recommendation one later on in the book. You know, and you know, thank goodness for organizations like Measure yeah. of America and the Social Science Research Council for, for bringing these figures to light. Um, yeah, the one of the things that Major America found is that the rates of disconnection in any given community are highly correlated to the rate of disconnection 10 years prior. So if you have disconnected parents, you're gonna have disconnected kids. It makes sense. There was a really famous study that was done in the early 1970s by a um, sociologist named uh, Mark Granovetter, And he distinguished between Weak ties and strong ties. And strong ties are the kind of relationships you have, connections you have with your close friends and family. And weak ties are like acquaintances, you know, the people you kind of know on LinkedIn. Uh, But what he theorized was that your weak ties are actually a lot stronger in terms of bridging you to other networks. You are much more likely to get a job because of a friend of a friend or like your mom's friends, neighbors, you know, those kinds of connections and from your you know, close friends, because they all know the same people you know. Um, and so this paper was called The Strength of Weak Ties. Yeah. But the thing is, if you are employed, then you have much more access to that network of weak ties that is going to help you and yours. You know, and, but if you don't have a foothold in that yeah. network to begin with, your parents don't have that foothold in the network to begin with, then all you have are those strong ties that are actually weak, as far as getting you opportunity. But that is the kind of thing we take for granted. You know, LinkedIn helps you see the kind of connections you have, even it'll even tell you first connection, second connection, third connection, it makes it transparent. And I think it's a powerful tool for um, people to look at just so you can kind of, you know, explore the extent to which you kind of take for granted who you know and who you know knows. Um, But it is so important for getting a foothold on the ladder of opportunity today. Who you know matters so much more, unfortunately, than how hard you work
0: sometimes. I agree. I agree. And you mentioned a second ago about um, young folks and disconnection not being recognized. So what do you think it's going to take? Like, obviously, we're at crisis level here. Like, we're at, at you know, alert orange um, in terms of how bad things are getting for young adults and disconnection. What do you think it's going to take for them to be recognized as a separate category for that's worthy of analysis? Because it's like, we're already a crisis, like what else do we need for you guys to pay attention to the numbers and realize that this is a, a sub-demographic that needs to be mm-hmm. paid attention well, to? Well,
3: fortunately, there is something called the Reconnected Youth Campaign, and that is a coalition of youth advocacy organizations that have been out there really raising the alarm on this. Um, and, uh, you know, young people, there's another term for young people in the circumstance, opportunity youth. And it's framed that way because employers, for instance, need to understand that this is the population that is worth investing in. You know, there's a lot of potential to unlock yeah. here. Um, there are a lot of people to get to know. Um, there are a lot of young people to listen to. So there are, there's a growing number of young people who are beginning to advocate for themselves, who, you know, have been in this situation or who know of young people in this situation or working in organizations. So that movement's getting stronger and louder uh, and needs more support for sure. But the first thing that can happen is to begin counting, measuring the problem. You know, in the United Kingdom, they started doing this back in 1999, and uh, every quarter or so, they put out a report of what they call the NEET measure. N E E T stands for not in employment, education, or training. Um, And so they know it's like, okay, so our need percentage is X. That means we got to pour more resources into summer jobs or we've got to get more apprenticeships online or something, but it helps focus public attention and money on a population. But if you don't measure it, it doesn't matter. You know, the Census Bureau looks at a single group of workers. when We know that's not the case. There's vastly different experiences between an 18-year-old worker versus a 64-year-old one. Um, So that, that I think, is step one. Uh, And then from there, you know, opening policymakers' eyes. I mean, one thing that's interesting about the current presidential election campaign, everybody talks about the youth vote, but nobody's talking about what they're doing for youth. So that's one thing that needs to change too. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. A hundred percent. And so one of the other things that, I, that you mentioned in your book that I thought was great was this idea on page 74, you said roughly half of young people working part-time say they're underemployed or working part-time when they would prefer to have a full-time job, which is funny because like, I don't know if maybe it's just me, but I feel like there's like this expectation now where it's like everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, like everybody wants to have their own business and have their own job. And it's like to hear and read statistics like this, it's like, really, no, they just want gainful employment. But I think I think when I was breaking it down in my head, I'm like, a lot of it has to do with the fact that we couldn't find jobs. So it's like, you know what, if you won't hire me, then I'll just be my own boss and make my own job. And we became the culture of entrepreneurism because of that, because it was like, we can't find jobs. You guys won't give us the experience to get the jobs. So we're going to create our own jobs and become our own bosses. And we're going to become entrepreneurs. But really, I think what that statistic is speaking to is the idea that like, you just want to be employed. You just, you want to feel like you're a productive member member of society. You want to feel like, you know, you want the stability of having a regular paycheck coming in so you can take care of the bills and live your life and stuff like that. And it's it's just so funny to see the two different themes of sort of motivation flowing through this generation. This idea of being your own boss, but also this idea of really just wanting a steady steady paycheck, you know, and and doing whatever it is that you have to do to get it at this stage of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so I thought that that was very interesting.
3: It's you know, I mean, the book is about disconnection—the people who aren't in school or not working. But you know, I mean, you raise a really good point about this broader population of young people who feel like they're not appreciated. They might be in school or they might be working, but their potential is still not being tapped because they're underemployed or, oh, yeah. you know, they're in jobs that don't pay enough. You know, our economy is supposedly good, maybe generate a lot of jobs, but they haven't generated enough good jobs. They haven't generated wow. enough jobs yeah. that, you know, fully tap into what young people have to offer. So that means there's something really wrong. There's something really wrong. Yeah
0: a friend of mine actually is in this, this exact situation where she's stuck working this part-time job and she really just wants to be full-time and she's like dying to get full-time employment and like the employers just, they're like, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a lot of it down to paying the benefits. A lot of employers don't want to pay the benefits out cause they're costly. Um, but the other thing too, that I was, I was thinking is this idea that, you know, this generation has some seriously brilliant minds, you know, like we're the generation that's grown up with technology so we're starting to see the ways in which youth and their brains and the creativity of how young people think in terms of technology and the ways that we can use it to enhance our lives can really, really sort of transform. But it's like you wonder about how many of these creative individuals yeah. aren't able to express themselves because they either can't find a job, they're not in school, they don't have a mentor, they don't feel supported, they don't have the resources to express themselves. And it's like you, like you said earlier, you, know, you wonder how much we're missing out as a society, you know, of these young people that could really probably create some amazing things because they just don't have the resources yeah. to, to express it. Um, it's, it's scary to think about, you know, like how much we are missing out on. And it's like, you'll never kind of be able to quantify it because yeah. you don't really know. Well, I have a question you know for you, then,
3: Like, if you're for, for connected young people, you know, the people that you know who do have a job or in school, you know, what more can be done, you think, to create those opportunities where you can get a good job or move up the ladder? I mean, what are people telling you that they want to see?
0: So, I mean, one of the things I was thinking as I was reading through the book was this idea that like, because I, and, and maybe it's, you know, our own installation, our own lives, but like, I didn't know about this situation, or at least I didn't know that it was as bad as, as you know, what your your books and what the statistics are saying. So for me, I'm like, had I known that this was what was going on, You know, I would have tried to reach back more, you know, like I would have tried to be a mentor to somebody I would have if I had known that there were people that were like were struggling and I knew that there was some kind of program that would like come into the school and set kids up with mentors their age to maybe help them and keep them on the right track and stuff like that. I would have totally taken part in that and totally been, you know, open and willing to help a student or a person like me you know, from being on the street, even if it means, yeah, come sleep on my couch for a couple of nights or whatever, or here, borrow my statistics book and and take this test with me or whatever. You know, like I would do, you know, those kinds of things to outlo- or to outreach and reach back had I known that the situation was as bad as it was. And if I had known that there were like organizations in place for that. Um, but I think for connected youth and, and folks like myself who, you know, do have jobs and things like that and networks of people, um, you know, I think one of the things that we need it's more organizations like, you know, National Guard Challenge and Youth Build and setting up with quality mentorships. Because I remember there was one point, and I'm still in this situation right now, where like, I do want to uh, mentor, like, I want to mentor somebody, I don't know what age, like, I don't know if I want it to be somebody my age, or if I want it to be somebody younger, probably somebody younger. Um, But I want to be a mentor to somebody. And I want to help somebody out. And I want to be able to get involved. And I just feel like, while I know that there are organizations out there that can set you up with somebody to mentor, I do feel like there's not enough education around it. Like there's, there's this stigma like that in order to be a mentor, you have to be like master's degree and you got to have all of your SHIT <laughs> together. And like, you just have to be, point. Right. you know what I mean? Like, and a lot of times what a mentor really is, is just somebody Definitely who cares. Right. Like you don't have to have all your stuff to do. You just, have to, you just have to invest in somebody and show that you care and show that you're interested in, in them succeeding and so for me i think as a connected person something that you know i think would help the situation was more clarity around what organizations offer mentorship mm-hmm. programs so that you can get involved with mentor people you know or putting together programs where people or kids who are you know N-E-E-T can find folks like me and i can be that mentor like if you need somebody who's a mentor hey what's up yeah let me know you know what i mean like, and i can be that person but i feel like there's such this culture of sweeping it under the rug mm-hmm. that we don't know and like you don't know how to get involved and you don't know what to do it's like you can't just walk up to people on the street and be like you need a mentor like because that's how yeah. you get killed <laughs> but it's like but you want to find a way to give back yeah. and you want to find a way to get involved and the, the education around it and the awareness around it is just not there it just there needs to be more awareness raised
3: yeah for it, I no that's not exactly right and i do want to give a shout out um to one of the programs in the book that I do think involves a tremendous mentorship program, and that's the Urban Alliance. So what they do yeah. is that they um, have businesses that hire high school interns uh, throughout the year. And the thing is that this is a supported internship. So it's not like the high school students are thrown into a situation where you know they don't have um, meaningful tasks to do. They have a pre-work uh, program that they do before the internship. So they learn... Things like how to use Microsoft Word, how to use Excel, all the computer programs you need to learn, but also things like the so-called soft skills, you know, how you write a good email to your boss, um, the fact that you have to write an email to your boss if you're going to be late someday, you know, those kinds of things that a high school kid may not necessarily know, so they're prepared to succeed. And the thing I love about this program is that it enables young people who don't have access to Know networks within the corporate world because maybe their parents are immigrants or they're coming from neighborhoods where the families don't work in a corporate environment, but they're making that world accessible to the young people who are in this program, getting them mentors, and those mentors are opening up their own networks to to young people so they Mm -hmm. have that leg up. They can come out, come out of college. You know, and then, so some of the organizations that are offering internships are like the World Bank. So you've got these kids, you know, who are interning at the World Bank and meeting people from around the world, something they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. You know, and lots of cool companies that are doing this. There should be a lot more of that just to open up people's opportunities. You know, a phrase I heard a lot in the course of researching this book is, you know, you'll be what you see. And if you don't get to see very much, you're not going to be able to achieve very much. And so programs, the yep. Urban Alliance, allow kids to see a lot more about what's possible and then how to get there.
0: Yeah. And I like that. I was, I did read that a lot in the book too. And it made me think like, you're, you know, you're hundred percent right. You are kind of who you surround yourself with and, you know, your glass ceiling is what you put in place for yourself. But it's also, it's also like an amalgamation of your, mm-hmm. of your environment, you know, like you're not thinking of yourself as becoming a CEO of a company if you're, you know, out on the street, you know, you're not thinking of that, you know, you're just looking for your bare minimum is like, can I just mm-hmm. get a job? You know, like you're not even thinking about the the bigger picture in that sort of sense. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, like I mentioned, I think just knowing that there are folks out there and that you can get involved and you can help out somehow, I think is all that some people need. To really get involved, it's just knowing that the information is there, and this is how you reach back, you know. But I just think there just needs to be way more education. Um, you know, we we should be putting out commercials for these organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be publications. They should be on the newspaper. There should be billboards. You just don't see the information. It's like if you're surrounding yourself, you know, with people um, who don't have this information, then you're not even going to know that it exists. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those things where we need to be shouting it from the rooftops a little bit more than we are and giving these, these organizations, especially urban Alliance, you know, and other organizations like that, just the the recognition they need and they deserve so that they can
3: kind of get that word of mouth yeah, out there. To so folks. many of these organizations um, are really scraping by to survive. I mean, that's the thing, you know, the more that, you know, shows like this one shows like what you do can help elevate what these organizations then do, the more help they can have budgets, you know, to get out there and talk about themselves You know, I talk about this other organization called Second Story, which is a transitional shelter for um, homeless teenage moms. And they're the only teen homeless shelter left in Fairfax County. Everyone else is shut down because of budget cuts, you know, and just like lack of funding. And, you know, they don't have a gigantic budget to go out there and solicit donations at all. You know, and the other problem, too, is that the federal government doesn't provide much money for youth homelessness, because they don't consider couch surfing to be, quote, homelessness. So youth shelters yeah. basically don't exist, where the number of youth beds is very, very small because it's not counted as homeless if you're couch surfing. And of course, what happens if you're a couch surfing young adult, you're going to end up as a chronically adult, chronically homeless, older adult, if someone doesn't get you the help you need. Exactly.
0: Um, in the book on uh, page 24, you mentioned, you know, what the government can do is stop sabotaging the prospects of vulnerable young adults by failing to provide the basic supports they need when they most need them. Can you talk a little bit about what in what ways the government is is sabotaging them and in like in what ways they can sort of do mm-hmm. better? to support? Yeah, we've youth?
3: covered a few of those areas of sabotage um, earlier in the show, talking yeah. about the child welfare system, for instance, and the failure to create, you know, real plans for transitioning foster youth out. Um, we adultify young adults who make one mistake and throw them into the criminal justice system. And that's one of the ironies. I think if you're wealthy, if you're not of color, then you know your mistakes are kind of swept under the rug. But if that's not who you are, if you're a person of color or if you're low income, then you are adultified and you are much more likely to be thrown into an adult prison. Or your chances for success are catastrophic. That's an example of sabotage. Um, school systems that don't make that connection between you know, what you're learning and a job that's gonna be helpful to you when you grow up, that's another form of sabotage. You know, letting communities that have lost economic opportunity shrivel up and die, that's another form of sabotage. Um, and I, you know, all of these pro- problems are completely fixable. We can reform the child welfare system. You know, there's a lot of reform going on Mm -hmm. in criminal justice. We need to do more. You know, there's no reason why one in five people in New York City jails, for instance, is someone between the ages of 18 and 24 when they're less than 10 percent of the population. That's insane, the disproportion. you know, um, we can fix our schools. There's so much that can be done to fix schools. We can fix our higher education system. And we can do a lot to invest in parts of the country where opportunity has dried up. None of these problems are insurmountable yeah. for a nation like ours that has as much money as we do. Yeah, you
0: would think that they that these problems are insurmountable the way that they, you know, they act like they can't possibly fund or, or do anything. It's just, it's baffling yeah. to me. <laughs> so one of the other questions I had for you, uh, it was just this, this idea of because I know the book was published recently, mm-hmm. so I was going to ask if you know any, uh, I guess, improvements that have come about since the publishing of the book. Like, is there any updates, you know, since you've published this work that you know of, or is stuff, stuff still kind of same? Still kind of
3: the same. You know, the um, the numbers have not been updated yet, so we don't know. I imagine that things are probably likely to get worse uh, this year, given the downturn in the economy already. From the coronavirus and that kind of thing, yeah. and the workforce participation rate—you know, the percentage of you know young people who are looking for jobs at all. Because you know, that's the thing: the unemployment rate only measures the people who are looking for work. So the unemployment rate for young people, which is yeah. about twice what it is for the population at large, is not the same thing as the workforce participation rate. That's been on a steady decline um, for like the last like three decades. Uh, with only a very tiny improvements so i don't yeah. expect that to have changed i do have good news to report as far as updates on some of the people who you know are are in the book um Car- carla you know for instance oh. who uh was the young woman and who was a teen mom that i profiled in second story she's doing she's doing great she's still at the same job um she's got two kids you know living with in a steady relationship the you know, condo that she saved up money for um Joseph, who was the mentee okay. of the uh, Latin American Youth Center mentorship program, he's a fire he's a firefighter now. Mm-hmm. you know this is the kid who got kicked out of two different high schools and uh, relied upon his um, mentor, Franklin Peralta, who worked with him for 10 years in this amazing program called the Promotor Pathway uh, the Latin American Youth Center. They stick with you from ages 14 to 24. And because of that, you know, he managed to finish high school, uh, just took the test to become a firefighter and is now on his way to doing that after having, you know, found a job as a linesman. So, yeah, so there's some great stories of, you know, updates. And then, you know, not so much others. There's one young woman from Baltimore that I spoke to named Shanae. Uh She's 27. She hadn't gotten her GED. She's living in Baltimore, three kids. Uh, she just needed to pass one section of the GED exam math to get her diploma Mm -hmm. and last I checked just a couple weeks ago is something that hadn't happened and she had aged out of the program completely and so she's someone that they've lost track of and that I think is a completely tragic story. Uh, There should have been so much more intervention in her life 10 years ago, 15 years ago to, you know, get her back on track
0: Definitely. Or at least, you know, even though like she ages out of the program, they still should keep tabs, you know, and and track with her. And there there should be like a mentor for folks that have aged out, you know, like there should be somebody on board who like keeps in touch with the students who age out and just, you know, make sure that they're staying, you know, like, OK, you've aged out. We did all we can for you. Mm-hmm. But like, don't mm-hmm. be done, you know, like finish with them like continue to help them and continue to be a resource and support for them so they know that they're not alone you know like that's that's the breakdown in communication that i think some of these programs have it's like continue conversate conversing with mm-hmm. these folks like continue caring don't just stop caring like you know your parents claim you know till 18 and then you're on your own but like you know we're, much after 18 we're still around and talking to our parents and they still care they still talk to us they still give us advice throughout our entire life so that same thing needs to be true for the mentor's you know, that are taking on these responsibilities, they should be more committed or longer term committed, yeah. you know, yeah. like. I
3: mean, I think yeah. that's, you know, it takes resources, that's the thing. And so some of the organizations just don't have those resources. Yeah. But I will say that, you know, Joseph still keeps in touch, you know, with Franklin, his mentor at the Latin American Youth Center. And, you know, Franklin talks to him for free, you know, and then Cases, which is another organization based out in New York City, that is a diversion program yeah. uh, for young people who are justice involved. People, the kids keep coming back. You know, because they really look at cases as kind of a surrogate (laughs) family, an alternate family for them, because they do form these really strong connections with, you know, the case managers who work with them, the counselors, you know, other folks they meet along the way. And so they do fill that parental role that's missing in young people's lives, uh, where I think that breakdown you're talking about takes place a lot is governmental agencies that are much more about, you know, pushing the paperwork or Check in the Box, you know, the yeah. the nonprofits that really are dedicated to this are doing their best with very limited resources to do what they can.
0: You know, it makes me angry, too. Not angry, but, like, one of the things I noticed is, like, we have this, this plethora of philanthropic <laughs> celebrities that are like, oh, I want to make a difference. I want to change things that will fund you know, I mean, yes, fund the wildfires everywhere that they're happening, you know, fix the Vatican, all those kinds of things are important. But it's also like, if you're looking for ways to give money, like, give money to this organization, you know, like, why don't you why don't you get involved in organizations like this that have measurable outcomes, you know, like stuff where you can see tangible, you know, tangible results and things like that. So that's kind of like one of my one of my pet peeves is like, if you have the money, to donate and you're interested in donating in something, research what you're donating and look at some of these organizations that are falling to the wayside that really could use the funding, you know, and it doesn't even take a lot. It doesn't take like millions upon millions of dollars. The one, you know, one good donation for them is enough to float them for several Mm -hmm. months, you know, at a time. So it's, I don't know. it It just makes me wonder like, Priorities of some of the folks. You know, she's like, it's like, yeah. please let me win the lottery. Let me win millions of dollars so I can help. Like, I will do the right yeah. things with the money. You know, yeah, so I mean it's a celebrity just... like
3: mentor for this yeah. in the entire cause would, would be great. You know, and it does, can you imagine? I mean, yeah, you know, it
0: would that's... be amazing. You know, I'm a kid off the street and Will Smith is mentoring me <laughs> in finance. Like, you have to succeed. You have to. (laughs) It's like, come on. I do have to Um, say,
3: like, there's one more barrier, I think, to putting this, a really big barrier, putting this issue up on the radar screen. And it goes back all the way to the beginning of this conversation about, you know, this myth of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, that kind of thing. There is, I think, this kind of stereotype misperception that if you are a young person who is not in school, not in work, that this is some sort of choice that you've made. You know that you're that 20-year-old who is like in your parents' basement playing video games um, and wasting your time and yeah. having made poor choices or it's your personal responsibility. There's a lot of blaming that is misplaced and what I really try to do in this book is to show that it's really not about personal responsibility or poor life choices or whatever. It's about the structure of opportunity that is or is not around a person. Like every young person that I spoke to for this book and so many others all had huge ambitions, huge dreams. They work their butts off, but they're also facing obstacles that they did not choose to have put in their way. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Quickstand. Quickstand. And they're kids. You cannot fix your school system if you yourself are a child. You know, you can't fix the fact that you're growing up in rural Virginia. You know, if you're a child, those are not choices that you have made. It's up to, you know, public policymakers and the adults, the real adults, to fix the structure of opportunity so that, you know, these young people can reach for the aspirations that they have, you know. I agree.
0: I agree. So one of the last questions I'll ask before I give you the opportunity to talk about the future and what you have coming up on the horizon um, is, like, how do we like these the systems that are successful, you know second story, youth build challenge, all of these these and urban alliance and stuff like that. I saw in the book that you mentioned that, of course, they're not telltale you know they're not they're not guaranteed success rates, and you just mentioned already about Sinead who you know aged out of the system and didn't complete what she needed to do. What are some ways um aside from funding you know that we can fix these organizations and and create them so that they're more robust and so that they are sort of like in like there su- these mm-hmm. are success models. You know, like how do, we, how do we insulate these and make them, you know, more robust so that they are and can be, you know, like how do we just reshape them for success?
3: Yeah. Well, how do we for I mean, the models that I spoke about in the book I think are pretty good examples of, you know, successful models. I and mean, you can't, you know, I, I said that it's not all about, you know, pulling up your book, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and personal choices. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. There is some element of that, you know, young people have got to stick with a program that's like extending themselves out to help you. And if you don't show up, then it's on you, you know, so I'm not sure that any program is going to have a 100 percent success rate if a person isn't doesn't take an opportunity that's given to them. Yeah. That being said, the programs that I write about in the book are really very few and far between you know, like that second story shelter that I spoke about, they've got a year long waiting list. They, they have so many young people who need those services, who just don't have access to them. So scale uh, is something yeah. that's really important. Uh, more evaluation, more studies, like what works, what doesn't. Um, a lot more involvement, I think, from high schools, offering things like early college. Another thing I think I talk about in the book is in Texas, where you're able to get your associate's degree and your high school diploma at the same time. And that's just saving a lot of people a ton of money and a ton of time um, because you can do those two things. And one thing that they discovered there too is that people are less likely to drop out yeah. if they see that what they're learning in high school is going to lead not only to a degree, but to a career, whether it's an allied health or an IT or something like that is not irrelevant to them. Mm-hmm. So. And there, I feel that a big success is that they kind of thought about from the from the young person's perspective, what is it that they need, you know, to succeed, and cater to that versus you know vice versa, which seems to be the case. So maybe that is the key here, and that's recommendation seven in the book, where they talk to young people, yeah. listen to them, get them involved in public policymaking, um, and really have, I think, a broader dialogue about. What does it take to succeed today? Because it is different. It is different for this generation than it is for generations preceding, and there just aren't enough supports or opportunity for enough people to get where they need to go.
0: I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Okay. Um, well we're getting ready to run out of time here. I want to make sure I give you an opportunity to shout out anything that's coming up on the horizon, any book tours, uh, contact information where folks can get a hold of you. And of course, where folks can purchase the book abandoned as well. So why don't you give that contact information Uh, and anything coming up on the horizon uh, for the audience to check in.
3: And you can find the book at Amazon or Goodreads, or please do support your independent bookseller too. Um, and, uh, hoping to do more on this particular topic and you'll be hopefully, you know, seeing some more come to Washington where I write a column every other week or so about opportunity and, you know, economic and social policy. So I really appreciate the chance to be here, Jamie. This has been great. Thank you. No,
0: this has been a really great conversation and thank you for, for the book. The book is amazing. And you know open my eyes to something that I didn't realize was as a big of a problem, you know, as it is. So I'm glad that I could take this time to actually chat with you, the source, you know, and actually sort of maybe put some uh, some ideas into place for how I can get involved and how I can mentor and you know really actually do what I was trying to do originally before I got kind of discouraged a little bit. Um, but yeah, I appreciate it. This has been a really, really great conversation. And I'm looking forward to you know seeing the other things that come from this and hopefully seeing some changes and some measurable differences in some of these systems and stuff like that. Hopefully So folks, I'll be back again uh, next week with a brand new episode, so make sure you keep it locked right here. I want to thank the folks behind the scenes that Make Sound Off and WJMS Radio possible. Thank you guys for all the work that you do. Shout out to our guest for today, Ann Kim, who's author of Abandoned, America's Lost Youth and the Crisis of Disconnection. Make sure you check that out. Go grab that book and read up on it and mentor somebody, help somebody out. Um, Honestly, the problem is a lot bigger than You and I realize. And I think if we all just take a moment to get involved and do something on our own levels, we can make a world of difference for somebody. So please take a moment and read through the book, check it out, and uh, spring into action and make something happen. Until then, I'll see you guys next week for a new episode. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Be safe and uh, happy spring. It's almost spring, ladies and gentlemen. We made it through winter finally. So, all right. Thanks, folks. We'll see you next week.
2: Harmony, Bumblebee, Harmony, Bird. I'm a nerd. Study you, what do You, W, W, F. We fight we might need counseling. Possibly more so. Me sounds to me. Frowns will be grounds to leave. Hounds will be looking for you before you drop a tear. I pray them. Stop pretending that I am. him. I ain't them some dumpling i remember when you start dyeing them silver hairs and start hiding from your age i ask why how come amazing how time can run away from us i'm no nun you're no priest but i promise hun, you gonna see a phenomenon come with me like it's ramadan i don't eat like it's come a cunt i'm a freak for you yeah. yeah i'm begging now pretty please with cherries on top harry which what harry get a man don't give up and if your gut tells you to strut then strut then i'll hail you a car but what man won't beg you know I'm nutmeg, I won't show up on a little moped with a little puppy, it'll be fluffy, we will untough and we can discuss it. You know I'm suffering, I don't miss my friend, I don't like my fan. Bent up, telecom, well, that's ill sweet stuff, willow on We're stuck, billow leaks, that minimum week gon' get along peace and intercom Jesus, been a long I am me, I'm pleased, I'm feeling dumb, please, I'm feeling dumb, please, I'm feeling dumb. Please, I'm feeling dumb.
0: Thanks for listening. Tune in 24-7 at WJMSradio.com.